This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a safe, trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. Head over to teamblind.com to get the latest insights into salaries, company reviews, and interview experiences at thousands of companies worldwide. What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate. And hey, listen, I hope that you're taking care of yourselves. Uh, you know, you got polio coming back. Monkeypox is out here wilding. And of course, COVID keeps on coming out with remixes. Frankly, you're listening to somebody who is just now coming out of a, a COVID weekend. Um, shoot, for like half my family had COVID this past weekend. It was just absolutely ridiculous how disruptive it can be just to your plans, to your navigation around your own home making sure that you don't you know that you're making sure you're not getting anybody else sick and just just a mess so i do hope that somewhere in all of this you're finding rest it's it's interesting um living corporate has been uh, in the media lately we were in uh business journals uh we were in or biz journals on social media biz journals um we've been um we're on newsy just uh last weekend if you've been paying attention check out my linkedin we also released our first publication with uh, research publication with Blind. So that's really cool. All of it is really talking, though, about just the landscape of tech right now and the anxieties of employees in this market. Right. And frankly, the just the concern around your job security. Right. Like, you know, I, I still contend that job security is a myth because ultimately people can decide whether you stay or go and come up with any anything, any reason they want, right? They typically what folks do is they make a decision. They come up with a justification for it afterwards. Um, so, you know, I've, I've never really felt like that your job is ever secure. I think probably the more that you can tie back to a company's uh, bottom line, the more likely it is that you'll keep your job. But there is no one who I think is for sure never, ever, ever going to get let go. Um, it's just, you know, that's just the way it is. So it's sad, it's scary, but it's true. And I think like when you think about like the confluence of events between um, protests around uh, George Floyd over the past couple of years, as well as like just and then following that, this increased focus and push on diversity, equity, and inclusion, ongoing murders, state sanctioned lynchings, actually, by police and um, police uh, associated organizations of black and brown bodies and then just this whole tension between the executive and the non-executive around returning back to the office not returning to work because people have been working harder than ever and then on top of that like just like the political pressure i think all of that has really really stripped bare um, the veneer that we would operate in of like nicety and quote-unquote professionalism and whatever other language you want to use to intimate some level of belonging um, or community at a job, right? I think like we're very clear now that like your job is your job and your life is your life, right? Like I think there's very little, again, cushion between those things just because of the way that life is set up right now, all the things going on. And then like just the media, you go on social media, you'll see how jacked up the world is every second of the day. If you just follow like, you don't have to follow anybody, they'll recommend it. You can look at the news. So all that being said, 
even as organizations continue to go through like these contractions and adjustment and really right sizing from their overinvestment in really bloated markets, employee experience matters, right? Like the experience of the employees that you decide to not fire is really important. How you treat them and how they perceive uh, your leaders, how they perceive your organization's culture. Um, yes, you don't you don't want everyone to stay. Clearly, you're letting people go. But what about people that you don't want to let go? You really need them. Right. And to be clear, the hunt for talent is still on. So organizations are still struggling to find talent, even as they're letting people go. And some of that is just incompetent leadership. But some of it is also like, hey, like we're deciding to like really hone in on what we're good at. We're not making we're not taking new ventures right now. We're going to focus just on what we're really strong at. OK, that means you're still going to need talent in those spaces to can, you know, to continue to drive your market share and be competitive. And that being said, I'm really excited about the interview uh, that we had today with uh, Seema Bansali. Seema Bansali is the vice president of employee experience and inclusion um, at Henry Schein. And I just really appreciated the frank discussion we were able to have and the ability for us, uh, us being myself and Seema, <laughs> to just put down all the corporate stuff. You know, I think for those who may be listening to Living Corporate for the first time, you know, one, there aren't many other podcasts that center and amplify black and brown experience in the workplace every single day, every single week, week in and week out across the year. But I still contend that if you were to really look at who we're able to bring on this podcast and on our shows to speak on the record about the reality of lived experience, we are one of one, right? And I'm, I'm really proud of that. I'm really thankful to our team and I'm excited about this conversation you're going to hear. Shout out again to Seema and uh, I'm not even going to like drag it on too long because I really want to make sure y'all get into this before we get into it though. We're going to tap in with Tristan. So I'll see you in a minute. Open Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. You're building a culture of belonging. Every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. And at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. 
Today, let's talk about how you can smooth over making a mistake at work. No matter how much of a perfectionist we may be, mistakes happen, and when they occur at work, they can be stressful and contribute to anxiety. But we can use mistakes as an opportunity for personal growth. It all starts with changing our mindsets and understanding that making mistakes is part of achieving success. If you make a mistake, the first step to smooth it over is to take responsibility and tell your leadership before they find out themselves. While your boss may be upset, think about how much more upset they will be if they find out about the mistake from someone else. Bringing this up early can help ensure the problem doesn't snowball into more issues. The next step is to develop and propose a solution. This shows that you're proactive and that you've taken some time to reflect on the actions that led to the mistake. If you can, seek advice from subject matter experts, more experienced coworkers, and stakeholders that may have been affected to inform the development of your solution. Lastly, do some self-reflection. It's important that you not only understand the actions that led to the mistake, but also how you can avoid making them again. Managers know that their employees will make mistakes, but they also want to know you won't repeat the same mistake over and over again. This doesn't mean wallowing your mistakes. Just figure out how to prevent the same thing from happening in the future. Everyone makes mistakes, but taking a solution-based approach and learning from the experience is the most important thing you can do. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. This episode of Live in Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. On Blind, professionals connect and have honest discussions about salaries and what it's really like to work at or interview with a company. You can also join your private company channel to have a candid and safe conversation with your coworkers about what's really going on. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read. Check out teamblind.com to get the latest insights and the answers to your workplace questions. It's brought to you by Doximity. Over 90% of graduating medical students join Doximity to use our tools before earning their doctoral degree. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you want to learn more about Doximity, make sure you go to your app store, Type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Seema Bonsali, welcome to the show. How you doing? Zach, thank you so much for having me. Wonderful to be here. Doing great on Friday afternoon. Looking forward to this all week. I'm very excited. Now, look, um, let's get to it. You're responsible for employee experience at Henry Shine. What does that mean? I know it's it's a broad term. Let me say, I think people are still figuring out what employee experience means overall. Like lots of companies across uh, across the globe are thinking, what is employee experience? But here's what it means to me, and what I you know what I envision it as. Um, I think about it as like three buckets, right? Employee experience is essentially how you feel, how you feel coming to work every day. What's the experience of being an employee every day? And I look at it in three kind of major buckets. Number one, people. People, do I feel like I belong? Am I a part of my team? Am I valued by my team? Am I connecting with the people around me in the organization? That's the first part of experience. And honestly, 
you know the stats, Zach. It's if you have a friend at work, if you work for a good boss, like these are all things, a, a great manager. These are things that keep you in a company. These are things that keep you connected. And if you don't, no matter how great everything else is, you're out. So people, people, number one. Number two is purpose. Like, do you feel connected to the company's mission, vision, values? Um, that's a big part of your experience at an organization. Am I connected to what you're doing? Do I even understand what my job has to do with the greater goals of the company? That's a big part of experience. That's how I'm experiencing my every day. That's what gives me value in my job. And then pay, which is a small, you know, three P's, right? Um, it's a small, it's a, it's a way to say, what's your career path and goal, right? So yes, it's about your pay, but it's also about how am I developing as a person? What are the growth opportunities that you're providing me? What does it look like to be an employee here at Henry Schein? And so for me, you have to really focus on those three crucial elements of experience. And then, of course, there's the traditional elements of experience, which are what does it look like when you when I'm recruited? What does it look like when I'm onboarded? What does it look like when I'm promoted? Those critical points of an employee's life cycle, what are those pieces? So when I think of employee experience, that's how I put it together. Well, you know, it's interesting speaking around just employee experience. Like we continue to live and work in contentious times. Like, and I think there was a season or a time probably when like technology and like everybody's information and business wasn't constantly in our face. We weren't getting updates about the world, like literally every other second. Um, yeah. But with the SCOTA, like with the Supreme Court of the United States continuing to make decisions that impact the everyday lives of folks who also happen to work. What is your perspective on what executive leaders can do to support creating the best experience for their employees? And this is where I think, thank you for calling that out, because I think it's so important that people recognize, right, that we are holistic people. What happens outside of the office happens inside of the office. And so the, for me, one of the most important things executive leaders can do is be an ally. And what that means is remembering that these things matter to me inside the organization and outside the organization. It means when something happens, you don't think I'm going to come to work and be like happy and ready to go. You recognize as a leader and you communicate to other leaders, we need to give people space right now. We need to understand where they're at. That's real allyship to me. And then it's also, you know, organizations taking responsibility where they can. Obviously, they can't overturn Supreme Court decisions. That's not their lane, but they have lanes. They most definitely have lanes. And it's about thinking about, you know, those lanes. How do I how, how do I as an organization support my team members who I know are going through these things? It's it's just important to recognize. I think traditionally it was, you know, you leave that stuff behind. But those days are well gone. Well gone. You know, it's interesting, like to your point around being an ally, like my biggest thing, you know, I'm coming from shoot, I'm, I'm black. So I'm coming, I'm coming from spaces that are, are on the margins. So like, I've never been a senior executive before. And so like the biggest thing that like pisses me off, Seema, is like when things happen and we have like these circle chats and like, I don't know, like execs be like, I stand with you or I see you. <laughs> or What do they be saying? 
I, I'm holding space yeah. for you. Whatever they be saying, you know what I'm saying? Bunch of nonsense. Because right, it's not real. It's not real. Like what it would be great is if it's like, hey, I'm an executive. I have all this authority and power and influence. So here's these policies that we're going to roll out. Or like, here's this like amicus brief we're going to sign. Or, hey, we used to donate to like these uh, Republican uh, PACs, uh, super PACs and stuff. Mm. We're not going to do that anymore. Like tangible mm. things, you know what I mean? Like things that actually put some skin in the game that like actually involve some level of, of effort of, of, of extending yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think there's two commitments that we need to make here. Uh, I love what you're talking about financially, because one of the things that drew me into this company was their sort of longstanding commitment to health equity and to, to underrepresented groups um, and physicians and dentists like in underrepresented groups, building them up, donating to them, being a partner with them, trying to get more uh, underrepresented communities into the healthcare pipeline, like for 25 plus years, right? Before, like people say, way back before it was cool, way back before it was cool, because that was at the heart of our leadership's kind of commitment. So, um, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Budget matters, right? If you've got a DEI program, is it budgeted? Or, is, or do you have one person just doing a million things and there's no resource? Is it but like, so, you know, you have employee resource groups. Do they have a budget? All of those things matter. So put your money where your mouth is, is, is one. And then I think provide the wellness tools. Like, don't just come to me and say, I'm going to hold the circle. Because you don't know any more than I know. If I know more than you know, what are you going to do with me? Like, I, bring me an expert who's going to be able to help me. Bring me a, a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, somebody who, and, and somebody who has lived experience, right? That's the real opportunity. Now pay it forward, do the equity piece and say, I'm going to hire a black or brown um, healthcare practitioner to come in and help my team. Right, right, right. right. That's, that's what you have to do. And then have them do it. So there's a lot of ways to do allyship right. But to your point, there's a lot of ways to do it not so right. Yeah. Um, and do it in a way that's performative. And just being like, I stayed with you. It's not going to cut. You should have stayed with me. That that was the baseline. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't flee away in this moment where I'm yeah, being oppressed. Right. So thank you. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> so it's interesting though, like kind of to that point, like we're in this space also where like, I don't know, like see, it's odd to me, right? Like we're in this space where corporate interests continue to, corporate um, powers continue to to grow, governmental, governmental entities continue to grow in power, very lopsided ways. And like the individual like continues to be um, outsized by that. And, um, and at the same time, there's like this ever increasing expectation uh, for accountability and transparency. So like, it's like, it, it, it honestly, it feels like we're about to come to some type of head and I don't know what that, you know, looks like, but it feel, it doesn't feel sustainable. Uh, but my point is, is that when we talk about accountability and transparency, data continues to be the thing, right? So like, you may know that we had Michael C. Bush, who's CEO of Great Place to Work on Living Corporate. And we dug into, this was like a little while ago. Uh, but make sure y'all check it out, though. It's a great interview. Um, and we dug into the role of data uh, in the DEI office and, frankly, just the role of data in um, the in uh, the, the realm of employee experience. And so but from J.P. Morgan to Amazon and others, we've continue, continued to see C-suite leaders resist organizational audits through the lens of equity and inclusion. And so I'm curious to get your perspective, especially with your uh, one of your core responsibilities 
uh, being employee experience. Do you think this resistance is a simple case of folks just not wanting to be held accountable or risk legal exposure? Or is there something else there as to why we're, we, we don't want these audits? Yeah, I mean, I think risk is risk is definitely top of mind. I don't think it's I think there's some legal exposure issues with it that they there's a fear of. Um, but I think there's other risk, which is what will our employees feel and say? I mean, what are they going to think if we do this audit and it turns out as we suspect it will? Because why else is there fear? <laughs> why else would you ever have fear or have risk if you think it's not going to turn out in a way that's positive? Right. You always have it when there's a there's a fear that it's not going to turn out the way you want. Um, what will our team members say? And then I think there's a corollary problem, which is we do this audit. We find out that there's these issues. And I think at the heart of it is we don't know what the solutions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am going to get all these problems back and then I am not going to know how to solve for them. So if you do this and if you just keep your eyes covered and you say, all right, I don't, you know, no, it seems okay to me. Right. Then you can, then you can kind of walk back and, and not say, oh, I didn't solve for the problem. But when you see it and it's in your face, then it's really hard to walk away from it and say, well, I had no solutions. I had no solutions because sometimes those solutions that people don't want to do it. Sometimes they're just afraid of what the solutions might look like. And I think, I think personally, that's a part of it. The afraid of what the solutions might look like, I, that resonates with me because I think like so many, there's so many critiques or like um, white men mostly telling on themselves on social media of like, well, uh, what does this mean for me? And like, I might, I might, what if I don't get my promotion or what if I lose my job or whatever the case is? But there's this fear, right? And like this, and like, frankly, like this, like scarcity mindset of like, okay, well, there's only so much pie to go around. What's going to happen? And I remember um, I actually interviewed, um, I spoke with a uh, uh, Yvonne Hutchinson, who's the CEO of ReadySets, DEI consulting firm. And she was like, yeah, like the reality is that once we do some of these audits, we're going to see that some of you shouldn't be in the position that you're in. And part of that accountability may look like you not having that position anymore. And yeah, that's a consequence of decades and centuries of inequity broadly in this country, as well as just like organizational inequity and disparate impact to marginalized employees at your company uh, specifically. Right. And so like, I, I do, I do think that like, that's something that folks have to grapple with. What I'm curious about is like, what does it look like to build up folks um, muscle so that they're actually able to just like deal with that? Cause I think we have a really low stamina when it comes to dealing with like discomfort mm-hmm. or newness and solutioning mm-hmm. around this space. Like what have you seen from like an executive coaching perspective just to kind of help build up mainly white leaders ability to not be so fragile? Yeah. I mean, we'll just call it out for what it is. Yeah. Right. That's what it is. Um, uh, I would say there's a couple of things that really you can do that we've done works. I think has worked really well. Uh, number one, hit them with the data. We report those, those, you know, we report our, our, our data. We report it publicly uh, through our ESG report. We report it to our management committee on almost a quarterly basis. Um, we report it to our board. We're constantly reporting our demographic data. So the more you get used to seeing the inequity, 
the more you get used to understanding that it exists and your mind can wrap itself around that, um, the easier it is to start to build up an understanding of, oh, we have to continue to do something. This isn't just talk. Look at our data. So number one, I think the data is critical. I also think um, hearing stories from team members is really important. We do a lot of qualitative data, and that's roundtables, surveys um, from our employee resource groups who are terrific. Uh, I just I can't say enough about how wonderful they are. Um, we get a lot of data, qualitative data back. And when leadership hears that uh, and they hear people and see people that they care about, that, that are important to them, talk about their stories and our CEO, you know, often tells a story about how he didn't understand any of unconscious bias um, until he got to a, a roundtable with women and there were some breakdowns. I mean, some some women really broke down and started, you know, kind of telling him where it was. And he was so deeply impacted by it. So when you hear it from people who have been impacted, that makes a huge difference. It humanizes it. When we talk about equity intellectually, it it feels like a very far away concept and there's right and wrong. When you hear it from a person that you've known and care about, that makes a huge difference. It just makes a difference. It's interesting because you're right. Like there's this huge gap between like, I believe like when we talk about experience and like equity and, and, and use these terms, almost like there's like this really high theoretical space where we just talk and we say a lot of words string together, a lot of really like, liberal buzzwords that sound really nice and like frankly are very attractive and make you sound very smart but then like and then there's like this there's like this huge chasm though between that theoretical language and intellectual language which is great and the actual personas and people that are going through the everyday ins and outs of work which is and it's much less sexy and frankly a lot less much more nuanced and much more um complex than maybe like these like four or five word sentences that you've strung together back to back to back. And I think that for, for me, what excites me is like, as I see other, as I see the pushes to really get granular. Right. Um, so this is, this is awesome. Um, let me ask you this. Um, I remember when, cause it wasn't that long ago, even though it feels like truly an entire moment ago, um, when George Floyd was murdered and mm. you know, blackness was like really in vogue. Like it was great to be black. Mm. Like I recall feeling I, 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 man, I feel great to be black every day. I want to be very clear what you see, but like <laughs> other people were like, you're black. Congratulations. I was like, Oh, thank you. I, yes, I am. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like people hand me things and like, Hey, would you like to speak over here? And like, blah, blah, blah. you know, it was just very, very interesting. I, I think that this season is over. Right. I think that season has passed. And like, one, I'd like to pause before I ask my follow-up question. Do you feel like that season has passed? Do you think the, do you think we're in the same space that we were uh, in uh, the summer of George Ford's murder? So I love this question. Um, I'm going to answer it kind of and say, um, I think the intensity of that season has passed. I don't think it's fully gone. I think there are some people still hold remnants of it and will still um, celebrate and elevate blackness. Uh, but I think that acute season of it is past. 
And for me, uh, that is why I don't like, I wouldn't say I don't like, they have a very strong role in any kind of activism. Um, but when you think of something as just a revolution, revolutions, they're really moments in time. You need a sustained strategy to to kind of continue to have a celebrated blackness within our world. It, it's got to be a sustained strategy. It can't just be a one-off because then you're not going to get what you need. Yeah. That that's the thing too, Seema. Like we I do believe like we have this thing where like we're really like we really love theater, right? Like we love the like show. Like, oh, we're gonna like show up to this protest or we're gonna like, you mm. know, do this symbolic gesture. We're gonna paint this road. We're going to like I don't know, like put some person, like some black or brown person as a fixture of authority, but not really like let them do anything. Like we love like the look, but you're right. Like it's more than that. It's the, there's, there's some sustainable actions and demands. Um, and frankly, some sacrifices that have to pair with those things. Like that's, yes, that got you the attention, but that itself is not an entire movement. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it's something to see. Um, I guess so. Here's my here's my question though. Like when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we talk about employee experience. Um, part of living corporates like just brand and ethos is like we do believe that anti blackness is a global problem, and we and I don't believe it's like kind of like it happens here or there. I believe it's embedded in like how we, um, how especially at least the uh, the Western world engages the world. And so I'm curious, like where does mindfulness of anti blackness fit within your ethic? as an executive, um, as an, as an employee experience leader, as a diversity, as a diversity inclusion leader, where does that fall into your ecosystem? For me personally, and I think programmatically for the, for the organization, it's, it's gotta be at at a core of what you do. And I say that because, um, look, you can really, to your to your point, there there was a lot of things that were performative early on with Floyd, and I think if you continue down that road, it's a problem. But what you can really do is understand um, what what are the roots what are the roots of anti blackness, mm. and for me, a big part of that is bias. I I talk about and think about bias all the time. Um, and when you have two biases working together that I think are, you have three, really. You have historical bias, which is really problematic, particularly when you talk about blackness. And then you have um, the safety bias, which works together with uh, similarity bias. So if you're like me, then we're safe, right? I'm safe and you're safe because I know you, you know me, we're similar, we're safe. And the only way the only way I truly think to combat this is to continue to elevate um, black leaders as leaders. And we, I think we need to stop saying like, you're a black leader, you're a female, you're a leader. Yeah. And we need to continue to push the narrative and continue to elevate and create visibility because the more you see black leaders as leaders, the more they're just leaders in the organization, the more that there's authority and respect in the same way that there are for white male leaders should be for everybody. And so I don't think you can actually hold an experience or DEI role without centering around that concept. That's the whole idea. Yeah. 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 It's the only way to create the equity in my, in my mind. Absolutely. 
you know, look, with the continuous anxieties around the economy between like gas being like, I don't know where this seems $17. I don't know. Milk is like <laughs> $25, you know, like it's really high. Um, and then also in tech and, but not just in tech, like we're seeing layoffs happening across the board. Um, what's your role like in managing those fears for employees at your company? And um, how is it, how does that fall into you know, bringing in potential talent, right? Like, what does that look like to manage that? Yeah, I mean, I think economic fears are real. They will always be real. I think they're more um, pronounced now, number one, because we're just, you, you know, we're on a 24-7 news cycle um, and, and social media cycle. And so if you had a fear that was this big, it's, you know, a, a tiny fear, it's going to grow into a very large fear because you're constantly being bombarded with it. Um I think it's the I think it's the role and responsibility, my role and responsibility. Part of this is to say, you know, when you talk about wellness, which is a big part of employee experience, financial wellness is a part of that. So um, working with our HR partners and our HR benefits partners to say, you know, let's have some conversations around financial wellness. Let's make sure that we are understanding where people are. And when there are certain problems that arise, um, exploring whether or not we need to do something economically to support those team members who may um, who may truly have some economic challenges. I mean, that's just across the board. You know, I think looking at things through the lens of not an executive, which I think is can be problematic because you and I both know if there if you have a specific amount of money, you have a specific lens and you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to deal with the, the the gas hike. But but for a family on a really moderate income, um, and those who are, you know, struggling, that's not sustainable. They can't. So you, you, we really have to think about those things. That's that's one. But for Henry Schein, and the thing that's that's here at least really good is um, we're a slow growth company. I mean, we're not tumultuous. We are ninety years of slow growth. Uh, that it's true, and and continues growth. Um, and we always revolutionize ourselves in any any economy. We've done it a few times. It just kind of reinventing who we are. And so uh, one of the things that I think even investors like about us is that we're, we're a very stable company, but we also, and I encourage employees to think about this future employees, employees that are with us now or with anyone, what does your ESG look like? Your environmental sustainable uh, social and governance. What does that look like? Uh, Because if you have good policies and practices in place there, you know the company is not going to fall prey to something like an Enron or something else. And you know the company has good practices that are there to keep stability. So it is communicating those values. It is about thinking about what employees need. It's a whole, you know, for me, that's the entire kind of um, game in, in making sure that people's fears around the economy remain stable. There are some things we're not going to be able to do. Right. And I'm not going to be able to lower the gas prices. I wish I could, but I can be really cognizant around that. A hundred percent, man. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm like, it's not like not even on script. Yo, this is a fire conversation. I appreciate this. You're a great guest too, but let's talk a little bit more about Henry Shine. Uh, you talk about slow growth, continuous growth, been around for 90 years. That's crazy. My grandpa's not even 90 years old. Congratulations <laughs> to y'all. Um, you've been in this role for about five months uh, by the time this drops, it'll probably be like six months because we got a little bit of delay. We record a lot of content over here, seeing we're a whole network over here. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, what are you excited about when it comes to just like your role and achieving? And why, frankly, should black and brown folks want to come work there? 
Yeah, um, both great questions. Um, so I, you know, this particular one around employee experience I've had for, to your point, five months, six months uh, <laughs> by the time this drops. But prior to that, uh, I started my work in DNI um, when I joined the company in 2017, and even before that, I worked for a member of the United States Congress for 14 years. Um, and a lot of my work fo focused around brown, black and brown communities, particularly around immigrant communities. Mm. And so um, it, it, for me, has been a, a lifelong kind of passion. And what I learned in government um, and the congressman I worked for used to say he used to have a bracelet, a white bracelet. I can still picture it that had the word one on it. And he would tell us we are not going to change the world, but we may change the world for one person. Mm. And I live that. I really live that there. Like in a genuine, honest, no bullshit. Can I curse? Yeah, come on, that? come on. Drop an F-bomb or two, too. It, like, it makes it spicy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a no bullshit way, I I really took that to heart. Love it. And then when I came to corporate, I thought, am I going to be able to do that here? You know, mm. there was a real, it was a real jump for me, Zach. And I was like, am I going to be able to be that person here? And when I got this role and when I, and when I moved into employee experience, I thought, that's my goal. If I can change the experience for one person waking up every day and going, I want to be here now. I enjoy my week. I'm not living for Friday afternoon. I'm not scared of Monday morning. Mm. Then that's what I want to accomplish. An environment where people feel that is so key to me. We live so much of our lives at work. It shouldn't suck. It really just shouldn't suck. It should not suck straight up, man. That's a that's that's going to be the that's going to be one of the big quotes, probably like the stinger we have for this show. <laughs> Because we do live quite a bit of our lives at work. And you know what's crazy? And like, this is not a conversation about necessarily return to work, uh, return to the office. But I, I, you know, even as, there's a lot of studies out there around how like remote work has been so great for historically marginalized employees. Mm -hmm. It's just like, we just don't have to deal with all the nonsense like right in front of our faces all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to see like your 17 pictures of like your Shih Tzu. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't want to eat your uh, casserole at the company potluck. I see cat prints on it. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, like, I I'm good, right? Um, but at the same time, like, even if you're remote, if, you're, if your job sucks, yo, it still sucks. And, like, you know what I mean? And then it's like, dang, it sucks and you at home. Like, you can't even escape. So 100% received there. Now, look, last question for you. You know, in this climate, I feel like organizations understand, you know, understand the experience of their employees is the most critical investment they can make. Like I, I don't understand if you could look at just everything going on, why you would short that. But I also know that like we live in like part of just like this hyper patriarchal and like late stage capitalist society. Like we're very much focused on like the, the fastest, biggest returns possible, which often comes at the expense of human mm -hmm. beings. So I get it, but for organizations, not prioritizing employee experience over the next at least the next 18 months, what three points of advice would you give them? I mean, for all those organizations, first of all, watch out because I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but number one, I would say if, if you don't think it's a problem, you, you should survey your team Do an anonymous survey with your team because um, nothing tells you that you need to worry about your employee experience more than when your team gives you that feedback. It is key, key, key. So Number one, survey your team. Number two, take a look at your data. What does your turnover data look like? Is it high? What about um, what about your your fill rates? 
are they are they low? Like, do you have a lot of open roles, even with the great reshuffle? Um, do you have a lot of open roles? And ask yourself why that might be. And are you really getting the best talent and returns? And then finally, benchmark against other organizations. I mean, you should be looking at what other companies are doing. And if 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 your competitors are thinking about their employee experience, um, you know, you should be too. So I think I would look at those three kind of things, but I, I will say if you're not already thinking about employee experience, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. 2020 and this this pandemic could have been any greater wake-up call to organizations to say, number one, people matter. And if you treat them well, they will give you their all. And number two, um, their experience in your organization matters a hell of a lot. So you better be paying attention to it. I mean, at least for me, those are those are the words of advice I'd, I'd give those orgs. Seema, listen, uh, shout out to you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, y'all, you know, the, the folks around you reached out. I'm really glad um, that we uh, that we were able to connect. I see you're a friend of the show. Hopefully we can work together in the future. And uh, thank you. I love that. Thank you so much. Zach. This is a terrific show. Love all the content. Got to listen to a bunch. And I was uh, I was moved by so many, so many of your guests. I'm honored to be a part of that. And we're back. Yo, Seema, thank you so much for being on the show. Shout out Henry Shine. Shout out to the whole team reaching out, um, asking to be on our show. And um, listen, y'all executives, if you don't understand that your employee experience matters, keep on doing what you're doing. You're going to mess around and not have any employees. Right? You know, you, you're going to have a bunch of people that you've been wanting to let go, but you don't have an effective performance management process. So they just around. Okay, or you got to pay out some, you know, nice exit, big old exit package, a separation package because you couldn't, you're uh, averse to litigious risk. So you want to, you know, so that, that cost you is my point. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some way or another if you're not treating your talent as if your talent is what you need. Okay, employee experience is critical in this moment. It's not something fluffy. Um, something additive, something decorative, something tertiary to your business needs. Employee experience is critical to your uh, immediate, midterm and long term sustainability as an organization. And so it's really important. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about next time, like sooner than later, not next time because we got a schedule. But sooner than later, we're going to talk about sustainability and employee engagement because employee experience, because that's a gap. Like folks really don't appreciate how critical employee experience is to your company just being around, which is weird, right? Because like we're looking at companies right now that have a terrible employee experience and like we see them in the news all the time and like their market share continues to drop. And yet we still don't really care about it. I wonder if that's just like this issue around the reality of like the limits of capitalism as it pertains to really caring about people because capitalism is built on exploiting people. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm over here having a conversation with y'all as if y'all in this, this thing with me, but we'll talk about it another time. These are the things that go on in my mind though, as I just think about like, the world in which we engage, right? Even if you don't care about black and brown people, let's say you're a white supremacist. Let's just, for the sake of, let's like, yo, you got to do something. Like you, you still got to do something if you want to get the most out of, to get, just to make money, you got to have decent employee experience, right? Anyway, all right, y'all, enough of my uh, out loud ramblings. This has been Zach 
We'll catch y'all next time. Make sure y'all tell folks about Living Corporate. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. Check out the website. The website is fire. The website is fire. Fire. It is fire, dog. Like, create a profile. Explore. Do your thing, okay? Till next time. For real. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals from startups to some of the largest companies in the world like Amazon, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs, Google, J.P. Morgan, Meta, and more. Blind's mission of transparency seeks to break down professional barriers and silos at work so that you can make productive change and advance your career. It's a safe space to ask questions and get the real-time insights and perspectives from people who know what you've been through. On Blind, you can connect and have honest discussions about everything from compensation, company culture, performance reviews, promotions, and more. You can also join your exclusive private company channel to chat with your coworkers about company policies and what's really going on at work. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read on Blind. Download and install Blind from the App Store or visit TeamBlind.com to get access to the latest salary, company reviews, and interview experiences thousands of companies worldwide.